to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, uh, which is page 811 in the Pew Bibles. But uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. And uh, this is what the Word of God says. Uh, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, And where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither rust, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of lights. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Uh, No one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Uh, Now Pastor Susang will come up and give us our message. A series on freedom. And last week we had a message about how the human heart seeks justification. We seek a verdict, a verdict that our life is worthy. And typically we we seek it through some form of rules or some standards keeping. And then sometimes we reject it and we want to be upon our own. And, And we think we can rule our own life. Now, the freedom that Jesus gives is not only and ultimately that we are forgiven before God and that he will declare us just before him on judgment day, but that all throughout our lives through seeking this verdict, how can we live not merely according to legalism or according to just, I just get to license however I want to do it in every different aspect of my life. And the, and the one that I think, and to start, you know, the very next one, I'm hoping this message These series of messages will be very practical to you, talking about how you can have an inner freedom, an inner freedom based upon grace in varying different aspects of your life. And the one that I thought that was very important to start off with was about money. And so we're talking at this, looking at one of the most profound passages in the Bible where Jesus himself speaks on this topic. And so in this message, what I'd like to do is First, I'd like to talk about, one, how does Jesus present the matter? And then, two, I'd like to talk about two different typical ways that we are enslaved, typically, to money in our culture. Two different paths toward enslavement. And third, I'd like to talk about some practical ways of approaching it. What, does, what are some ways that having freedom looks like when it, when it comes to money? So let's talk about, first... How does Jesus present this matter? So now in this passage, verses 19 to 24, he talks about three things, and each of these three things don't seem to connect to the other, but I think he really is talking about one thing. He is talking about this issue. Now, in verses 19 to 21, he talks about treasure. And specifically, he says, put your treasure on the things that last, and the things that cannot be taken away or rusted or corrupted here on this earth, Put the things that last forever, and he offer, and he tells you something that I think we all know. It's a piece of like human psychology that we all really understand. Is whatever you think is treasure, whatever you think is very valuable, there your heart will move. 
your heart will go there. And in the Bible, when we're talking about heart, we're not only merely talking about emotions. We often talk about, in our culture, heart versus head, and the head is the thinking portion, and the heart is the emotive portion. But that's not the way the Bible presents it. The heart is really the center of your being. It's the center of your person. It's the, the very core of your soul. The heart thinks. The heart motivates. The heart shapes everything about you. And so he's saying, whatever you consider treasure, that's where the very center of your person will move to. So that's, a, that's how treasure functions in our life. That's why he talks about the first part. Then he moves to something that seems strange. He talks about eyes and light. And he offers this very odd, this very odd metaphor. He says your eye is a lamp. It's the lamp of your body. Let me just um, ask you this little question. What does a lamp do? You know, you walk into a room and there's no light in the room and you go and you flick a, the, the lamp on, right? And then the lamp sheds light into the room and then that's what the, the lamp does for the room. And what he's saying, the eye is, that eye does that same function for your body, for your life itself. And he says, when the, the light goes off, then you know how to you know, maneuver the room, you know where all the furniture is, you know what that room looks like. But he's saying, what if your eye, the light that came off wasn't light, it was actually darkness. And that's a, that's a strange way of thinking about it, isn't it? If you walked into a room and it was dark, and you flicked on the lamp, and, it's, and, then, the, and then the lamp gave off darkness. <laughs> Wouldn't that be strange? It gave off darkness. That's what he's saying. It's a strange way he's talking. But what he's saying is that your eye, where you put your focus upon, where you look at, it sheds light. But the light it's shedding into so many people's lives is not actually light. It's actually darkness. And then he moves on. And then he says, you can't have two masters. One you hate and the one you're actually devoted to, but you can't really say that they're both your master. And then he says, then he kicks the kicker. You will be devoted to one and the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now he's talking about the issue that we talked started opening up last week. Are you in freedom or are you enslavement? Is there an enslavement to money? Is money your master? Or is God, is he your master, and thus are you liberated? You have freedom. Treasure, light, or the way you perceive the world, and are you enslaved to money? Now, I think what Jesus is saying is that there is a light, but the light that's in your life, that's the thing that you think is normal. The way you normally perceive the world, the, the normal contours of the way you run your life may actually be very dark. And if you're enslaved to money, if money has a certain function as treasure in your life, then what's going on into your heart is actually a darkness, and thus you're enslaved in ways that you don't understand. And this is the reality of the way Jesus is presenting it. Now, this is how, how Jesus presents it. Let me, let's, let's talk about now about how we do it. How we have light in our life, which is actually, in Jesus' estimation, darkness. And I like to talk about two kind of broad ways, which I think in our culture, so many people, you probably fall into one or both, one or the other, or even both, and of how money plays so large a part in your life and you're actually enslaved to it. And the first way that I'd like to call it is money as a path toward pleasure, image, <laughs> image and status. So this is the one I think everybody knows. Right? This is the one that everybody knows. 
the more money that you have, the more stuff that you can get. And the more stuff that you can get, you can enjoy. You have more, you have a happier life. Isn't this what everybody wants? You want a happier life. And if you have, if you have more money, so we spend a lot of energy getting trained, going to school, <laughs> spend a lot of time seeking to make money. Some of you, in this being Silicon Valley, you don't work 30 or 40 hours a week. You work 50, 60, 70, even 80 hours a week in order to, to make a good living. Some of you working very hard at your business. That's not a bad thing necessarily. But here, what is the treasure? And for some of us, though, the enslavement, this is the one that I think most people can relate to, is this. More money, more stuff, and some good things that come out of it. Now, let me, um, let me share a little personally here. Um, when I was a, when I, when I was a, a young you know, teenager, we used to live on the other side of town. We used to live in East San Jose. And if you're from this area, you know that East San Jose is the poorer side of town. And then in ninth grade, my parents kind of made it. And we moved to the rich side of town in Saratoga. And then I, I went to Saratoga High School there. And, um, and an odd thing happened to me. You know, as, you, as most of you guys know, you know, when you get, you, you turn about 15 and a half, 16, you want to start driving. And, it's, uh, and you get your driver's license and you're no longer, you know, just stuck on walking, either walking or taking a bike. I used to ride my bike to school every day. Um, so I was in pretty good shape. It was a two and a half mile hike, you know, to, to school from freshman and sophomore year. And then I finally got my driver's license. And of course, I don't get my car. Now, when I lived in East San Jose and I lived on the poor side of town, I knew there was a car out there with a special little blue and white checkered symbol. And you guys know what brand that is, right? That is the BMW. I knew there was a car out there called the BMW. But since almost nobody I knew drove one, and, and it wasn't a really big, you know, it, it didn't really play much in my life when I lived out there in East San Jose. I knew it was supposed to be a good car, and I was like, but whatever, it didn't mean much to me. But when I moved to Saratoga High School, a very large percentage of kids in that school, of course, many kids get their driver's license when they're 16. But not that many kids get a car when they're 16. At that school, not only did about half the student body get a car, I mean, they get to own their own car when they're 16 years old, they get to drive a really nice car. And... My parents bought me a car too because they, you know, they, they, they didn't want to drive me around all the things that I had to go to my sports and all my violin lesson, all that other kind of stuff. So they thought it'd be practical to get me a car. And then what they did is they got me an old American beater. It was an Oldsmobile Omega. And for those of you guys who are, are young, Oldsmobile is a GM brand and they don't even exist anymore. Okay. They died. And so I had a car from a car company that doesn't even exist anymore. And Omega is a big old car with an eight-cylinder engine, and it got about 12 miles to the gallon, right? And so my parents got me this beater car, and I think it cost them like 1500 bucks or something like this. And I would drive this big old fat American you know, gas guzzler to school, and then this guy would pull up next to me, in his shiny BMW 325i, and I looked at the car and I went, oh, I feel like a loser. <laughs> now, why am I sharing this with you? So at that age, the car I wanted was the BMW 325i, and preferably the convertible, because I like the wind whipping through my hair. That's the car I wanted, okay? Now, it's strange. Uh, um, 
it's strange. Today, I don't really particularly care. I, I see a BMW 3 Series on the road, and it like, really doesn't do anything to me. I just go, whatever, just another car. But if I see a BMW 325i convertible for about 1988-89, and this being California, every now and then you still see one, right? These cars, California, in California, cars last a long time. All those like old desires and powerful idolatries start to swing back to me, and I want that car. I'm like, oh, that's the car I always wanted, and I dreamed about that car. Now, why am I telling this to you? Look, I worked hard in high school, and I went off to college, and then I studied hard in college, and I want to get a good job. And this is what we do, right? This is the way you kind of make it in our society. And you want to get the money so that you can get a good, you work hard in, 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 in high school so you can get to a good college. You go to a good college, you get the grades so that you can get a good job. You get the good job so that you make the money, and then when you get the money, then you can get the stuff. The stuff that was supposed to make your life happy and supposed to give you a good life, right? And the reason I'm telling you this little story about the BMW is because in that one picture, in that one car, was the symbol of everything that I wanted in my life. <laughs> right? Back then... I, I, I was pre-med, I want to be a doctor. And if you ask me, why do you want to be a doctor? Because it, it helps people, it heals people, and it makes a difference, right? But if I was really honest, in the back of my mind, it was, it helps people, it makes a difference, and I want my BMW 325i convertible. That's what it's about. <laughs> and and it's, not in one, it's, it's not just the car. It's the symbol of that car. It's the success. It's the image. It's that I have made it to a certain level in life. And I'm not a loser. I'm a winner. It's all of it, all that thing. And of course, it's a good car. Nobody could say it's not a bad car. It's a great car. It drives well. I mean, it does handle great. And it's got German engineering and all those other kinds of stuff. You can say all that. But really, what it was about was, is I want a certain thing in my life. And that thing takes money. And do you realize it's not just about money and it's not just about car. It's about all the reasons I study and all the, all the reasons I went to college and all the reasons I want a job. It's, it's effectively the meaning of my life. Do you realize it? It has a huge chunk of defining what I'm chasing and how my life is being shaped. And if that's the case, then that is an idol. I am enslaved. Is this you? The money is the stuff. And the stuff gives me the pleasure and the status and the image. Pleasure, status, image. And that's why you want the money and that's why the money is so important to you. If this is what it's, if this is what it is in your life, why you want to have money in your life, this is one form of darkness. It's one form of enslavement. Okay? Ah. Okay. Stop for a moment here. Some of you are probably thinking, but I'm not like that, Pastor. I'm not that shallow. I'm better than that. I'm a saver. I put my money away. I don't put my money on like shallow things like expensive, you know, convertibles that cost like crazy amounts of money. That's not what I do. I buy, you know, like very sensible things and I shop at Target. And I, I save my money. This is, this is what I do. Now, let me ask you, there's a set of people, they have to have a certain chunk of money in the bank or maybe in the stock account or maybe in the equity in their house or maybe in your 401k or IRA, wherever it is that you like, you sock your money away. 
And if you don't have a certain amount of that, of wealth, a certain amount of money, you feel what? You're in danger. For these people, money is not necessarily pleasure, uh, image, or status. For these people, money is what? Security. That's what it is, right? If you don't have a certain amount of money, your life is in danger. It's, it's insecure. You, you're gonna, you're gonna lose your house. You're gonna lose your car. People will think you're a loser. People, you'll be out on the street. Your kids will be out on the street. What is that? And you, and if you don't have a certain amount, you're, you're just unsafe. And so, the money, you got to have that thing, so you're a saver. You're, it's, it's funny, um, you, you think this is what things, but it, at the end of the day, it's still the money which will save you, isn't it? It's still the money that makes you safe. It's the money that will make you secure. And so there's a whole set of people, this is the thing. You, you think your life is so balanced because money, you, don't, you don't waste money. You're not in credit card debt. You're one of those people that pays the thing off every month. Debt, you're like, no, debt, debt. You're debt, debt. You hate debt. You, you fear debt. But, and so you're a saver, and thus you don't think you're undermining idolatry. You don't think that there's darkness coming into your heart. But Jesus would say, still, money still owns you. still owns you. Let me give you a little bit of variation upon this. Um, uh, There's a a psychology professor at Swarthmore College. And so if you haven't heard of Swarthmore, it's a big shot liberal arts school on on the East Coast in greater Philadelphia named um, Barry Schwartz. And he wrote a book called The Paradox of Choice. And in that book, he offers a concept which I thought was just fascinating. He, he, has, he says there are two different types of people out there when he talks about how to handle choice. He calls one set satisficers, and he calls another set maximizers. I'm a satisficer. You're like, what is that? He, he invented that word, okay? Satisficers and maximizers. Now, if you have a certain amount of money, and then you, know, you have a certain set of choices, right? And you're going to go buy something, and, it's, and if it... Fits everything you want it to do. It meets all your goals. You should be satisfied and happy with that. It will produce a certain happiness, won't it? And so, to illustrate the difference between uh, satisficers and maximizers, let me let me uh, let me say this. Let's say you are looking for a jacket. You know, we're starting to get starting to get a little bit more toward the colder season. And let's say your jacket is old or worn out or something like that, and you want another jacket. Here's how a satisficer uh, approaches the, the, the decision. He goes, what kind of jacket do I want? Something that's not too heavy, not too light, within a certain budget, within a certain range of money, certain color, certain fabric, fine. So then you go on the line or you go to certain stores as you do to go make this decision. And so a satisficer goes to the store, looks at like three or four different possible brands and colors and finds one that, oh, I like this one. Right color, right not too heavy, not too light. Look at the price tag. It, that's a good one. And then let's say, let's just say it costs $44.99. You know, not too expensive, not too cheap, something of quality. And you're like, hey, I'm gonna, and then you know what the satisficer does? They buy it. <laughs> they take it off the rack. They go to the cash register, pay it. They take it home. They start wearing it. And you know what? They're happy. They're happy. Like, ooh, it's, good. it's a good hat. It's a good jacket. If you are sensible and rational and wise, this is how you would handle your choices and your money. You would get a thing that is a, a sensible deal, 
It fits the goal that you want, and then and then you didn't spend too much, and and uh, and you're happy with it. It works for you. It's good, right? You're satisfied. It has a certain satisfaction, happiness. Satisfies us. That's how you operate. Hmm. There's another set of people. They operate though a little differently, and maybe you can relate. You know, you know. I'm sharing these uh, two different idolatries: the the saving idolatry and the you know the the spending idolatry, and um, I'm very familiar with both of these, right? Uh, and I told you how I was on this, the the spending idolatry side, but this, I'm I am not a satisficer. I am this other thing that Schwartz calls the maximizer. And here's how the maximizer operates: you go to the store, you look at the jacket, you're like, this is this is good enough. How much does it cost? Forty four ninety nine. Hmm. How can I get a better deal? <laughs> and then you go, I'm gonna. This is a possibility. You got to dog ear your your head, and you go. What you do is, and if you're like me, this is what I do. I don't put the jacket back to the exact rack because somebody else might come and get it, especially if there's only so many in my size, right? So what I do is, I kind of, I'm kind of sneaky. I take that jacket and I put it somewhere else, <laughs> where somebody else can't come and get it, so that I can come back if I change, if I decide this is the one, I, this is the one that's the best deal. So. You, any of you guys do this? Come on. Don't, I know some of you do this, right? So you put this back. And then you go to another store. And then you look at three or four more jackets. And then you go online and you look at five or six more jackets. And then you go troll through the coupons. <laughs> then you go through like retailme.com. And then you go, you find out that you can go to another store online. They'll send it to you for free shipping for $42.99. And you save two dollars. That jacket comes in the shipping. Am I happy? No. You know why? Because there's this little thought in the back of my mind. What if I can get a better deal? <laughs> what if I can get a better deal? And then here's what happens. I start to wear the jacket. It's good. It's a good jacket, but I'm not really happy. Two weeks later, I'm going to another store, and I see that the jacket, same jacket, is on sale for $39.99. And then I'm like, darn it! <laughs> darn it! I blew three bucks. I could have had it for $39.99 instead of $42.99. And guess what? I'm unhappy. Because in my mind, $3... That $3, and it's really strange. It's not even $3. If you actually rationally think about it, it's like $3. Like, come on, that's stupid, right? It is stupid. The, what is going on? The maximizer has to take whatever good thing that he has. In this case, we're talking about money. And you have to maximize and get everything out of it. You have to get the best. You can't just get a good deal. The satisficer gets a deal that's good enough a product that's good enough and is happy. The maximizer has to get the best deal. And here's what will happen. It gets, it's, it's whacked. $39.99, the jacket comes out, the other one, and you're not happy. Or how about this? You're wearing your jacket, and about a month later, you see a better jacket, which costs $42.99. 
And you go, darn it! I could have that jacket for the same price, and that's better than the one I got now. And so then you know what you have? You have regret. So as you approach the decision, you have fear of regret. Later on, you do have regret. And then you're unhappy over three bucks. Or if not three bucks, it could be something else. And then, what is this going on here? A normal, wise, balanced person who's free in their heart will get a simple jacket that makes sense and be happy with the jacket, the goodness of God in the world, all the fabrics, the goodness of all these other people inventing this jacket for you for a good price, and you would just enjoy it and be grateful. And you have a certain measure of freedom. But I have a nice jacket. Do I enjoy it? No. I've got regret. I've got unhappiness over $3. And all winter long, I'm like, it's a good jacket, but there's better. (laughs) And what's the problem? The problem is I've got to get maximum out of $42.99, which is another way to say that the most valuable thing here in my life is not the enjoyment of the stuff itself. It's the money, right? The money is the thing that is the most treasured, valuable thing in my life, and it controls me. It controls my inner happiness. It controls the way I even function and go out to shop. And so, yeah, it's nice that I save some money. And, if, you know, and it's true that the, the maximizer, saver type people, they, well, they keep doing this, and over time they do tend to build more wealth. 